All right, everybody, welcome to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd firstly like to thank our sponsor for this episode in Fly Racing. Fly Racing is excited to celebrate its 25th anniversary in 2023 and the release of the exciting new Formula S helmet, which we spoke in depth about on the last podcast, if you'd like to hear more about it. So check Fly Racing out for that as well. Led by the revolutionary Formula Helmet featuring Rion technology, Fly Racing continues to push the boundaries of product performance and design. We would like to thank our loyal dealers and customers for 25 incredible years and look forward to the next 25 and beyond. Check out the new line at flyracing.com, at Fly Racing USA on social media, and our athletes at World Ride Motocross and off-road events in 2023. All right, for this one, I'm joined by the great man, Jason Thomas. How's life? And thank you for taking the time as always, mate. I don't know you're flat out with travel or the fly stuff. So how is life? Everything's good. Just, uh, man, planes, trains, and automobiles. For those of you who live internationally, which is most of the listeners, I'm sure, traveling to the Unadilla National is not easy. Um, it's just in a remote location and the nearest airport's, you know, maybe two hours away. Uh, and it's not really close to anywhere anyone lives in the industry. So it's it's a tough one. It is a great event. I think everybody that attends it has a good time. It's it's usually nice and cool, so it's not a it's a little reprieve from the heat that most of America's dealing with. But it is a challenge to get here. So I'm here now. I know I'll just have to face all of that again on Sunday when I go home. Are you excited to get back in the swing of things, mate? In the grueling schedule, obviously you had a weekend offing last week. How was that? And how's the sort of motivation levels there back? Yeah, it was great. We got two weekends off, which was nice um, because yeah. now we're going to have, you know, racing six out of seven weekends to, to finish this thing off. And then that's not even counting motocross nations. So yeah, it was, it was a great little break. Uh, I'd say motivation's okay. I, I'm just, you know, not as burnout as I was. How about that? Yeah. Uh, I think everybody was pretty burnout. And if you saw like Aaron Plessinger's interview from Washougal, but you could just see it. Like, obviously he was happy about his result, but you could just tell everybody needed some time away from the races. So got a little reset. I think there are a lot of storylines coming into the weekend that everybody had time to, to think about. And if, you know, there's riders that are in the title fight, they probably didn't like having all this time off. It's way too much time to kind of sit and think without any way to be able to do anything about it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're past all that and it's time to get going again. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, scuppered the momentum a little bit of the series. Obviously, it's a necessity, though, at this stage of the year, as always, mate. But just before we, you know, start off talking about you, Nadilla, how's the motocross the nations for Team America? Obviously, there's still lots going on in the background, lots undecided. Do you think we're any closer, mate? And how's the sort of thing like the Sexton conundrum with the team change? And the obviously, he's got some bike issues with the Honda, but they will support him if he wants to go. So do you think we see him there, mate? Because obviously, like you said last time, so many moving parts and a logistical nightmare to sort it all out. And then obviously, it impacts the 2024 prep as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I would like to say yes on Sexton, but I don't, I don't think that it's going to come to fruition. And I don't have any inside information. I'm not hinting at anything that I you know, can't say. I just, man, I think when push comes to shove, he decides to not do it. And I hate saying that uh, because that it really throws a wrench in what the team could look like. Uh, I've heard so many different scenarios for what the team will be and can be. And I haven't heard anybody with anything definitive yet. So I, I truly think that it's changing week to week and a lot of it's results based. You know, I think Hayden Deegan did himself a world of good to make the team at Washougal. But, you know, things could change again this weekend. If if RJ Hampshire came out and won the race or something, then I think that narrative changes yet again. 
Um, and, and that doesn't mean RJ couldn't race on a 450 or Cooper Webb couldn't race on a 450. There's just so many possible ways that Team USA goes right now. And that's what happens when your team from last year, you know, the, the team that finally won after a decade is dismantled a little bit, right? Eli Tomac's hurt. Justin Cooper can't go because of his wedding. And Chase Sexton's still on the fence. It just throws a complete wrench into everything we thought we knew, right? Because for me, leaving Redbud last year, I was like, okay, we're going to have the same exact team going to France next year. Win or lose, we're going to have our best team. And that's certainly not going to be the case. Doesn't mean we won't have a good team. I just don't think it's our absolute best team. It's a tough one, isn't it? It's going to be so fascinating to see what the actual final selection is. Do you have like a timeline on that? Do you believe it will be made? Because obviously always it's pretty loose, the actual date. But have you got sort of a confirmed hard time on that? I think that it, they'll announce it at Ironman, which is the, the final national. Um, that still gives about six weeks before the race. I think at the earliest you would get something about Creek. There's absolutely no way it'll be this weekend. But I think they're going to take every uh, every day that they possibly can, um, and they'll you know they'll have all the livery at at Ironman, and I think they do it there again. And and simply that's for no other reason other than indecisiveness. I think they're going to give all the riders and the the team choosers every amount of time that they have, um, and that's it's not great. You'd you'd love to be more definitive and and have a, a really cut and dry plan of what the team's going to look like. And if you don't know this late in the season, I can't even tell you exactly like one of the riders, you know, let alone all three. Um, that's, that's not great. doesn't mean they can't do really well. It's just not the ideal setup. Yeah. It's going to be cool. We may as well keep going with the motocross nations talk. Obviously, who do you think are the biggest rivals we've sort of been discussing before we started here? Obviously Australia with Lawrence brothers and Mitch Evans would be the logical pick there, even though there's options, which I've discussed about another podcast, but that's a pretty damn strong team. Like they showed last year and the Dutch will be going with, you know, Hurlings, Coldenoff and DeWolf, assuming they're all fit with obviously guys like Rowan, Calvin, Bogers and Elzinger on the sideline. So their depth's massive and yeah, just talk about those couple of teams, mate, to start with. And, yeah, who are your main rivals for the U.S. to sort of take their crown this year? Yeah, well, I think the, the four teams that could or should win would be the Dutch, Australia, France, and, and USA. Um, any team that won outside of that, I think it would be a, a wild surprise or you'd have a lot of weather involved. Um, you know, the, the Belgians could pull something together. I just think they would have a hard time winning with four really strong teams. And, and I'm, I guess I'm counting the USA as being a strong team, even though I don't even know who's going to be on it. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. You know, Jeffrey Hurling's coming back as long as he stays healthy, changes the narrative a bit. It can make mm. the Dutch, it could arguably make the Dutch the, one of the strongest teams. You know, they, they always show up so well for this event. Um, you have the French team who will be on home, home soil. And they have a lot of riders to choose from. It's it's a difficult dynamic with them. It seems like the French Federation makes things much harder than they need to be. They get into these squabbles with riders over logos and all, all sorts of things, which I wish the USA had so many great riders to choose from where we could argue about logos and still have a fantastic team. Uh, but they, they do. I, I truly think they are – they'll go in as the favorites. And then, of course, Australia – has, in what is, in my opinion, the fastest rider on earth, and Jet Lawrence leading, and then arguably the best 250 rider on the planet, and Hunter Lawrence uh, leading the 250 class. So they have a real opportunity of winning both MX1 and MX2 at that event, and that would be really, really hard to deal with. Because remember, 
for those who you know, I don't live and breathe this event like I do, you're going to throw one moto score away, right? Mm-hmm. So assuming Hunter and Jet both have great days, you only need one one decent moto out of a guy like Mitch Evans or whoever that choice is to make, you know, to make it really hard on everyone else. Like if you have Jet go out there and dominate and Hunter does what he likely will, the other guy just needs to bring it home. He doesn't have to be the hero and you almost put up a score that can't be beaten. Yeah, it's a good point, mate, because it's just so much to sort of consider with everything at the moment. And you're hearing, like, talking to James this week, he was saying with Belgium, they'll be going with Lucas Koonin on a 250s, Yago on a 450, and then Everts, you know, might even be on a 350 or something like that. But then they've obviously got Brent Van Donick and Van Horbeek, who's been so good coming out of retirement in his fill-in ride, which has now ended. But there's a lot of options. And then you sort of look at Spain, obviously, Prado, Fernandez, and Fares as their first choice. Fares, that injury is a pretty nasty one. So I don't know if he'll be there. But then they also have pretty good backup like Boutron, Braceris, Oliver's been great in MX2 the last couple. And, you know, they've got some pretty good depth as well. And then Italy, obviously, Guadagnini should be coming back in a couple of weeks. And Adamo and Ferrato, that's a pretty strong team as well with guys like Lapino and Monticelli in reserve. And then I guess the UK, Watson, Muse, Gilbert's kind of looking like where we'll be. You've obviously got Searle and Bobby Bruce if they need a 250 guy. So any of that sort of tickling your fancy, mate? Is some pretty good outsiders. And just one more for you too, Germany. Langenfeld is elite. Spees is coming along well. And then Koch and MXGP too. And, you know, Nagel is always pretty good. He's tearing it up in the ADAC. And do we see Roxon? Probably not, but it'll be nice if he came, wouldn't it? It would be cool if we saw Kenny. Um, and, and there's a lot of depth there in those teams you named. The trouble is, you you know, with with the exception of Spain, there are very few of the other Western European countries that can put ones on the board. And I, and I think if you're a country like that where you don't have elite depth, right? Your your MX2 or your MX3 rider, MX Open, whatever they call it these days, is going to be you're hoping for a top ten. Your MX1 guy has to win the race, basically, right? If so, if Prado. If Spain is going to be a true contender, Prado has to go 1-1, in my opinion. And then Fernandez has to have a great day. And then whoever the MX2 choice is, I don't think Ferris will be back. You're just hoping that they can pull something together. And that's what makes it so challenging is if you have any weak point, your elite riders have to be perfect. They absolutely have to have a perfect day. Uh, whereas some of these other teams, like the the strongest teams – can put a lot of ones and twos and threes up on the board. And then they have one throwaway moto and their throwaway might be like a seven or an eight. And that is just so hard for in, for these other, you know, less likely countries to, uh, to deal with because odds are their, their throwaway motos or even the moto they have to use, say their fifth score is going to be a 12, 14, right. And that just really changes the landscape of it. So it's a, it's a really unique math equation and, I always find it interesting the way the scores change throughout the day because you have one, you can have a really bad moto. And then if the rest of your day goes really well, you can rock it up the leaderboard because when you throw that moto away, your score comes down dramatically. So it's, it's a pretty wild scenario. Um, you think you kind of have it all figured out and then uh, these teams start sneaking in there. So I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, I do think it's going to be one of the four we mentioned just because the, you know, that one, one rider, if he, if he's not up to par that day or has a bad day, it can just, you know, not to say it will kill your team. You're just not going to have a chance of standing up on the podium. Think about how long it took for Australia to simply get on the podium with the elite level of talent that they had over the years. Like it it was, it's been really, really tough 
for them to do that, let alone win. Um, and they've had, you know, Chad Reed and Michael Byrne and Andrew McFarlane and all these incredible riders throughout the years. And it was still really, really challenging. Um, so I, I fall into that trap too. I don't think about all of the, the teams and how they could be put together. Um, but when you, you know, it, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking, well, man, you know, that they could have a really good day. And then I'm like, okay, so that, that team's going to beat like a, a Dutch team, like who can really put strong results together in every class or Australia, who's likely going to win. They could win two out of three classes on the day. Like, it's just really, really tough. Yeah, it's good points you make there, mate. And it's obviously we'll chat more about it in the future and go into more detail. But you're going to be on the commentary with Paul, obviously, mate. It must keep you on your toes with all those new sort of updates on the scores coming in, especially in that final moto. It is. And it's it's a really fluid situation, right? And we have to do our, our homework as far as in between motos. Like we will not only look at the standings, but you also have to think about, as I mentioned, that throwaway score because – that can really come into play. And you don't really start thinking about the throwaway until that final moto. So you've got these scores and it's like, okay, well, what's the worst one? Take that away. And then it can completely change the whole dynamic. So um, it's interesting, you know, I've been watching this race and, and attending this race for a really long time. And it, you know, it's, it's always high drama in the third race. Always. Um, I remember at Redbud in 2018, the the leaderboard for who was going to win that race uh another year majora in 2015 2016 2015 there were three or four different overall winners throughout the the course of the third race like that that's wild um to have happen and, and there's it's just this completely different racing dynamic that we have all year long and that's why it's my favorite event there's there's truly nothing else like it yeah, it will certainly be following it all with interest, mate, and the team announcements so far. And, you know, we've only really got Canada and New Zealand with Canada's got Wright, McNabb and Pettis, which is actually a really strong team that could certainly turn some heads. And then New Zealand's got Harwood, Cooper and Scott, because obviously some of their guys like Connolly, Walsh, Purvis, Datsky aren't going to be there, mate, so unavailable or injured. So, yeah, we'll certainly keep an eye on it, mate. But, yeah, we'll switch the focus to you, Nadilla, now. And how excited are you for it, mate? I guess lots of things to consider I saw on your Race Rex article about, you know, the things to deal with, like carrying momentum, standing up. So we'll probably be expecting Jet to shine with, you know, how comfortable he is on the bike and just how balanced everything is. Could be a pretty perfect blend for him, mate. So we'll start with him. Do you see anyone beating him? I don't. Um, he's just he's just too good. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean it can't happen in a moto here or there, but he's so adaptable. I just, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think we've seen the best of him yet. Yeah, it's pretty scary, isn't it, mate, just to see how good he is. And are you excited to see Barsha back? Obviously, his first race back since Nashville, so he'll definitely elevate the level, and he's a good bloke to have back, especially there. He'll have a lot of fans out in force, mate, and he'll be looking to just get some positive results and, you know, maybe make a late surge for that MXON team as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and Barsha's one of the guys that I think if, if something was going to happen, he's a guy that could cause problems. Um, he loves to be in the middle of anything like that. He loves to throw a wrench in people's plans. You know, I was talking earlier this week a couple of times about his first 450 uh, motocross race was at Unadilla and he gave Ryan Dungey fits. I think Ryan Dungey wanted to, you know, Ryan's too nice to ever say anything mean to anyone, but I think that was probably as close as he's ever been because Barsha was just, you know, just antagonizing him every way possible. And if Barsha somehow got a whole shot and was able to mess with jet i think he would love to right because none of these guys in this 450 class feel good about 
someone going perfect. They, they don't like it. It's insulting. Um, this 20 year old now 20 year old kid goes in and, and nobody can beat them over the course of a season. That's embarrassing to these guys who hold themselves in high regard as they should. So I think for Barsha, if he can get out front in front of that home crowd, you, you have a guy that loves antagonizing people. I think he will do everything he possibly can to try to get Jet off his game. And if that allows Chase Sexton to win, to me, it's almost like they're all together against him at this point, just to interrupt this perfect season. It's not, I, you know, for me, I wasn't necessarily racing against those guys. Like I was in the race with them, but I wasn't racing against them. So I didn't really care. Like they, they were all going perfect against me every year, but listening to other riders over the years, Kevin Windham, Chad Reed, these other guys, Tim Ferry, they hated it. They hated the fact that, Stu and Ricky Carmichael went perfect. Like it's just like su- such a deflating feeling to them. And they felt so inferior in the face of that. So I, I think that's what Chase Sexton's feeling right now. I'm sure Dylan Ferrandez feels that way because remember, these are your past two motocross champions and they can't even steal a moto win. Like they cannot even get a moto win. And they were, they were the prior champions that used to dominate that dominating feeling and sorry, Tomac won last year, but Sexton was right in the fight of this thing, right down to the final moto. But he was your Monster Energy Supercross champion. But that feeling of being a champion, that doesn't leave them, right? Dylan Ferrandez having won in 2021, he still remembers what that's like. He remembers when nobody could do anything about him. And now he can't even find a way to stay in, in a lead for more than a lap. Um, so I think all of them have basically made it their mission in life to find a way to beat this kid at least once. Yeah, and obviously Anderson will come back stronger after a few extra weeks for recovery. And same with Plessinger because he was dealing with that back injury and he's signed a contract extension today. So that's exciting, mate. So do you see those guys mixing it up for a podium too? I think they can get on the podium. I don't personally think that they can beat Jet unless, you know, if Jet has an issue, crash, bad start, whatever, that, that's changing. But all things being equal, I don't think that Anderson or Plessinger – Barsha for sure. Um, I, I don't think they can beat him for 35 minutes. I think he's too strong. He has too many weapons as, at his disposal, whether it's whole shot and run away or it's kind of suss everyone out, figure out where their strengths are and then make his move when he needs to, a la Washugal. Um, he, he seems to be able to figure out what he needs to do mid-moto and then deploy that strategy and it's just way too much for anybody to deal with. Even if they're having a great moto, they just can't deal with what jet has mentally physically speed wise fitness wise um it's truly the whole package i I don't i I really struggle to find someone who is at this age has is this polished and has this many resources and when i say resources it's different methods of attacking he doesn't have to do it one way like james stewart he would just kill you with speed you just couldn't deal with how fast he could go ricky carmichael was you know he had speed but also fitness wise but i've also seen people really rattle him i've seen kevin windham rattle him beyond measure right and this is when ricky was 22 23 24 you're talking about his perfect seasons well jets three or four years younger than that in the first time he's ever raced a 450 this summer other outside of motocross the nations and, and I've talked to guys like Ricky and James privately about it too, and they are astonished at what Jet has this early and this young. And they're, they've said repeatedly to me uh, and other people that I respect, on, I'm sure they've said it on television, if they don't find a way 
to get to Jet now, when he's 22, 23, 24, forget it. Like, they will have zero chance of beating this guy because right now he's just figuring it out. He's just getting to – he's not even anywhere near his mental peak. You could argue, like, he's peaking physically ahead of some, sure. But mentally, he's nowhere near as smart as he'll be, as wise as he'll be, experience he'll be, the racecraft he'll have. And his confidence is growing by leaps and bounds over these same riders. So it's uh, – you know, I, I'm running out of superlatives to, yeah. to give to this guy, but I truly believe that all of them – uh, are earned and I, I should be bestowing anything. I should be making up and conjuring up new ways to talk about him because he deserves it. Right. And it doesn't mean he can't lose. doesn't mean he can't lose at Unidale on Saturday. I'm more talking about the body of work and what that's going to look like the end of this year, 24, 25. They better do something about it right now because this is going to be a runaway train for a very long time. Yeah, it's a pretty frightening proposition just seeing the reign of Jet Lawrence, especially, you know, coming through in the next, you know, decade. And especially, obviously, for Australia Motocross Nations, it's good for us too. And just to talk about Unadilla, the track specifically, what do you think the keys to success are there, mate? So it's more about precision rather than raw speed, I guess, from your point of view, is it? It is. It's, uh, you know, it's a track that has changed. We've been racing at this facility since 1969. So the, the way it's developed, um, both positively and negatively, uh, it are notable. Um, you know, it started out as a very loamy track. It was known for having all this great topsoil, big rolling bumps. If you go back and watch old video of it, you know, that's what the riders loved about it. And it started in grass and it would, that grass would get torn up and, and create this awesome base that all the riders enjoyed. Well, over the years, all that dirt exited the facility right on the backs of riders on their motorcycles all that topsoil was gone and then we're just left with this you know for those of you who live outside of the usa this area of the country the northeast is all rock it's rock and really hard clay um, that doesn't lend to having lots of traction so as the topsoil left that was all that was remaining was this base and this is you know the years that i started arriving there the late 90s into the 2000s it wasn't a great race. Um, it was historical. I think everybody respected the history of it. But as far as a, a track that people looked forward to, it was not that. Um, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, I think most people agreed it, the roost was really brutal. Like we would leave bruised and hurting. And I, I say that in every, um, with every respect to that phrasing is you literally, literally your arms would be bruised. you you get a lot of, uh, like roost in your nose, your nose would be all cut up. I've seen guys get their goggle lenses completely blown out, have to go to the hospital because they got cut. And that was just due to the rock. So I will give credit to um, the, the organizers and the team around them for bringing dirt back in. They hauled new topsoil in. They got a rock filter to help that. So it went from amazing to truly awful. And I, and I cringe when I say that, but I suffered through it, right? I think it was deserving. And now it's kind of swung back the other way and it's a track that's gotten a lot better. And the dirt, there's actually dirt there. It still has a lot of the characteristics of Unadilla. It's slippery, a little hard, but it's at least not this track that everybody dreads anymore. And that, that's really important. Like it's to me to have the degradation of one of the most, uh, you know, historic and, and this track with all this legacy to really kind of go away and be attracted. Everybody hated that doesn't, that's a disservice to, to the sport. Um, so yeah, for me, coming from Florida, the lack of traction and the slipperiness was hard to deal with. 
but that's what makes I, I truly think that's what makes motocross championships great. You need to have a little bit of everything. You know, they can't all have the perfect dirt of Millville or the orange clay of Bud's Creek. You need to have a little bit of everything and test everyone's skill sets separately. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, mate. Great insights there. And before we sort of touch on the 250 class, I'd just like to get your thoughts on all these Europeans, Aussies, guys from all over coming to race this 450 class in America. You've got obviously Rabini, Leoc, Kulis, Terrasac, and then back for more with Goal, Adamson, and Putnam. You know, it's pretty interesting. I believe Aussie Jay Wilson, who's tearing it up in Japan, is coming to the last few with Star Racing. So, it's pretty cool, mate. Do you enjoy it? Obviously, all these new storylines is great for it, but it's an interesting sort of subplot to follow this season, isn't it? And I guess the last few, really. It's going to be wild. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy to see. And it's really been an opportunity across the board, whether it's international riders or American privateers too. Um, I think everybody saw that the there was a ton of injuries. A lot of riders sat out. So it was like somebody uh, grabbed like a trying to think of the right phrasing um but like some sort of siren and there was a like a you know a signal like in the movie anchorman when uh the guy he uh is trying to call all of his team members to to come <laughs> basically like that's what it was right if you wanted to get good results if you wanted your chance at getting a top 10 or or national points this was the year for it and uh, a lot of people showed up look at a guy like jose butron he's been in the top 10 more times than not this season he has a real chance at qualifying for the SMX playoffs and, you know, 20th place in the SMX playoffs is 25 grand, you know, like he has a real chance to get guaranteed placing into those rounds. If, as long as he finishes somewhat decent, he's going to get in. So it's, it's been a remarkable summer. I, I've seen it like this before. 1998 jumps out as me at a year, jumps out to me as a year that was similar to this. I remember there were four factory riders in the last couple of rounds, but I also remember it allowed me to get like a seventh. I went, I got seventh at the final round, um, which, you know, normally would have been like a 12th or a 13th in a full field, but just because of the way it was, I'll take a seventh. No problem. I don't, you're not going to offend me if a bunch of riders are hurt or don't want to go. So I think that's the same feeling that a lot of these other riders have have. You can, you can only race who shows up on Saturdays, you know, and Chad Reed used to tell me that all the time. You know, he used to say, you have to be in it to win it. Well, for me, winning wasn't really in the cards, but you can only race who shows up on Saturdays. And if you're the seventh best guy that's there on a Saturday, so be it. Yeah, well said, mate. And it certainly throws up some pretty cool, you know, options for people's fantasy teams as well, which you'll ride into. And yeah, most of us are really. So that'll be cool, mate. And yeah, would you like to sort of expand on the Hunter Deegan battle, mate? How exciting will it be heading into this weekend? Very close in the championship. There's a lot of edge. There's a lot of sort of angst, uh, you know, a lot of it developed by the media and the fans themselves, mate. It's sort of a little bit of us versus them vibe being created with it, but it'll make for a pretty cool storyline to follow, won't it? Yeah, I love it. Um, you know, I think, you know, there were some comments like Steve Mathis didn't love like the kind of USA versus the world thing or whatever. You know, I and I've shared this feeling in other shows and my own podcast and whatever, but I think as long as you're not putting anyone else down, I think it's totally fine to be patriotic for whatever country that you come from. I just think there's a really fine line there. It's okay to say, I'm happy that I won for the Americans here, as long as you're not saying, but we're better than anybody, or you shouldn't cheer for them because they're Australian. I, I don't agree with that at all. You know, I've traveled this world my entire life, and I have so much respect for other racers in other countries. That's why I continue to visit all these places. Um, so I think there's, you know, they don't, those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can be proud of the country that you're in and, and you can, you know, think about the races like motocross nations. Everybody is patriotic at those events. 
Um, I just think you have to be a little bit careful about not being degrading to anyone else. So I think it certainly gives us a lot to talk about. It creates storylines. Um, I'm sure the Lawrence brothers don't love that, right? Like they are probably rolling their eyes at the, all the, the comments made about America, this and that, because they moved their entire life here, right? I think they truly enjoy racing in America and they don't want to be portrayed as the outsiders by any means. Um, so I, I, I can understand their uh, point of view as well. But truly, on a, uh, just on a purely racing front, uh, we have everything we could ever want in this 250 class, right? We have an international rider that's, that's been leading the whole way, still has the points lead. Um, we have Hayden Deegan. That is a 17-year-old rookie with this family legacy of racing, whether it's his dad or his sister or now him. Uh, that, you know, this YouTube thing that's going mainstream, like there's so much wrapped around him. And then you have RJ Hampshire and Justin Cooper that are kind of lurking back there, right? And no one's really talking about them, but they're only 20 some odd points out of this championship. And you get a little bit of chaos. They're calling for some rain this weekend. It could all change. And I've spent two weeks now thinking and talking about Hayden and Hunter but it could change really quickly. This is Justin Cooper's home race. He's always been fantastic at this racetrack. And he went out and, and pulled a one, one and you give Hunter and, you know, Hayden, like a two, four, three, five type day. This all changes very, very quickly. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think it's an underreported aspect of this series as we think we have it all figured out that it's going to be Hayden and Hunter it, that could go sideways very quickly and we could have a three or four way fight for the last, over the last couple of rounds. So um, for as much or, or the lack of championships suspense we have in the four fifties, it's all in the two fifties. And that was vice versa. Like last year we had everything we'd ever want in the four fifties between Sexton and Tomac. Well, all of that seems to have shifted back to the two fifties and I'm just hoping that they can keep it tight here because that would give us something great to watch through the last six motos. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. It sort of feels like in that class, there's always a bit of drama, a lot of twists and turns just around the corner, especially with, you know, Hunter's adversity. And then, yeah, Deegan having those couple of down rounds and he shot straight back. And then, yeah, Cooper, you just sort of don't know where he's going to be each weekend. And Vial and Shimoda, that can turn it on at any time. Same with Kitchen. So, yeah, we'll be watching with interest, that's for sure. And just to finish out this podcast, the last section, we'll talk a bit about Sweden. Obviously, a track you've been to and commentated on, mate. Like I was watching the 2019 MXGP where Koldenoff won. And he was on rails in the second moto on that sketchy track. And obviously, Geiser won that moto and he had a good battle with Fevre, who actually ended up crashing really badly in that second moto. But should be a pretty fascinating one, mate. Your thoughts on the track? Pretty sketchy, hard for traction, hard to pass. So should be another good one, shouldn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it is a tricky racetrack. No question about it. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world, just north of uh, Gothenburg, which I've actually raced in before. But uh, Sweden in the summer is just one of those magical places. I don't know that it's going to be so magical this weekend. looks like it's they're, they're yeah. going to get a lot of rain, so it's probably going to be muddy. But, um, yeah, it's one of those where if you're looking for a race to go visit, you know, Trentino should be number one on everybody's list as far as a, an MXGP to visit. But uh, Udavala should be pretty high up there as well. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, all these guys continue on this battle, right? It seems like the MXGP championships – Somewhat settled. Uh, Prado's just kind of going through the motions is what it feels like for me, just making sure that he doesn't, you know, if he has to give up the win, the GP win, fine, but he's going to keep that points lead far out of reach from uh, from Roman Fevre. 
Uh, and, and I don't think, you know, the weather or anything, I, I think Prado is, is very confident in the situation and you get, these guys start to fall into place. And I've been in this, this situation where, you know, where you sit in the, in the field, you've raced so many times and for months and months and months, and everybody just kind of finds their place. They know where they should be. And it almost uh, becomes prophecy. Like pro- prophecy plays itself out each weekend, just because, you know, you've, you've had these things reinforced weekend after weekend after weekend of where you should be. So uh, I don't expect any any serious drama championship wise, uh, but maybe we get some unlikely results because of the weather. That could be uh, that could certainly be interesting. Yeah, it'd be cool to see a new name on the winners list. That's for sure, mate. And you've been sort of following the little subplot for third in the championship with Sewer and Koldenoff. Obviously, they probably won't be teammates anymore next year. Much news to come out about their futures coming up. But yeah, they've had a cool little battle. Obviously, Koldenoff passed Sewer on the last lap in the qualifying race. Obviously, both men have won here in the past in Sweden. So that's a nice little sort of side story to follow up on, even if the championship race is looking like it's more or less over, isn't it? Yeah. And, and there's, there's money up for grabs for these things, right? It's um, not something that gets publicized a lot, but you know, the a third place championship bonus is, is decent money and, and something that they would want to get. And especially for riders who are either working on their team contracts or apparel contracts, those are things that, our resume, you know, nice to sit on resumes and their representation would use that in negotiation and say, yeah, we're, you know, we're a podium championship rider and blah, blah, just, it's just another uh, trophy on the mantle to, to use. So um, yeah, it's, it's not top of mind as far as storylines, but it is something to certainly keep your eye on. Yeah. Obviously Maxime Renault's coming back for his first one since Spain after that foot injury. It's about three months, I think. So that'll be great to have him back on the gate. Jonas looks like he'll be back as well. It'll be interesting to see how those mud race plans out because in the ADAC where Hurling's won and Jonas came second, they've got a little bit of that mud you know, time under their belt, so that might hold them in good stead as well this weekend, mate. Yeah, and it's it's not a track that um, you would want to have copious amounts of rain on. Um, the dirt's pretty hard-based. And, uh, yeah, if it, I mean, if it was Wommel or something like that or Balkansward, no problem. Yeah, it's fine. I'm a little muddy some water standing around, but that sand can absorb it. This is, this is not that type of racetrack. Uh, if it does rain heavily, it's going to be a complete mess. Uh, so Godspeed to all of them having to deal with that racetrack and, and that much weather. Um, but I, again, this goes back to the comment I made about Unadilla and some of these other racetracks. I think that it, it should be a true test of your entire skill set, everything you have as far as what your repertoire is. And, and, I say that knowing that I sucked in the mud. I was just not a good mud rider. And I always knew it was a liability for me. And I tried to get better at it. And I did improve over the years. But if you're looking for a, a, a real testament of who the best riders are across all platforms and all circumstances, mud needs to be one of them. And, you know, we, ha- we haven't had a mud race in the U.S. for a long time uh, going on. This will be two years since we've had a real mud race. So it's 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 coming eventually, and I've I've been packing for it with this television broadcasting over and over and over, and I and I think if as soon as I didn't bring the necessary stuff for it, it'll happen, and we may get it this weekend. There's there's a chance we're going to get some rain this weekend, but um, yeah, I don't I I kind of welcome it. Not maybe not every weekend, but one or two a year. I think it just adds some variety, gives other riders opportunity, and I think it it's a true test for everybody to to branch out of their typical skill set. 
Absolutely, mate. Now, before we touch on the MX2 class, obviously, we're good to see Geyser in his fourth race back from injury. And obviously, Fernandez actually on the gate after that massive crash in Finland. It looked for a while there. It was pretty nasty, sort of just watching the broadcast. And you always sort of worry in those situations, mate. And obviously, yeah, Ferrato, Valandra and Evans, these guys will be looking to mix it up again. But yeah, no Yago this weekend, mate. So I guess that essentially puts it in Adamo's hands well and truly now, doesn't it, mate? And yeah, just a really mature and sort of dedicated to his craft he is. And he's just chatted podcasts with him earlier in the week. And he interestingly admitted sort of things like when he gets passed by someone and he knows that they're faster, he's at the point now where he's, there's no need to override and sort of try and flex your muscles and pass them straight back. If you don't have the speed, if you're not feeling it, you know, like Tomac has done so well in the past, don't overdo it, don't override. Yeah, for someone so young, he's really handling the pressure now after a few moments of adversity here and there, but he's just finishing all the races, banking all the points and definitely exceeding expectations for both, I guess, us and himself, mate. It's been pretty cool to see him do so well and rise to the occasion, hasn't it? Yeah, he deserves a ton of credit. Uh, He's been much, much better than I would have given him credit for. I don't I didn't have him winning or even being a factor in this championship. And uh, so I would, you know, that's just on me. I was just simply wrong about what he was going to be in the rider he was going to turn into. And I think people like uh, Prado and and Antonio Cairoli, these guys have weighed heavily, you know, so give them credit for kind of showing him what it was going to take to succeed. And also in that same breath, give, give him credit for being willing to listen and absorb it and apply it. Um, that's, you know, a very underrated, uh, skill or willingness. You know, I've seen lots of talented riders and I've seen lots of willing, uh, very smart people that are willing to help them. But if you're not willing to listen and you think you already know it all, or you just aren't, you know, aren't trying to think of the right phrasing. If you're unable to take those lessons and apply them or you're stubborn, um, yeah, then it's all for naught. And you can really see the guys that absorb that information and use it. And and even a guy like Jorge Prado and Tony, you know, Tony Cairoli taught him a lot in his formative years. Like he took him under his wing and, and Prado went to Italy and spent time with him. And not to say that's the reason why he's going to be your world champion this year, but those formative years really, I think, established good habits and they show you what it takes to succeed at this level. Um, because, Let's face it, everybody that they're racing against are truly talented. They're the most talented racers that have come out of their region, maybe out of their country. So then it becomes who's the best of the best. And if you don't have, if you're not practicing good habits and and continuing to improve and diagnosing weaknesses and all these things, then you're going to fall by the wayside. And uh, I, I've seen it, you know, there, there can only be so many guys that uh, have staying power in the sport, let alone be world champions. And it, it takes every ounce of your talent and your skill set and your dedication and motivation uh, to, to kind of rise above the rest. So a very long-winded way of saying that he deserves a ton of credit because I didn't have him being that guy. And uh, he's proving me and I'm sure a lot of other people wrong. Yeah, it's an excellent point you make there because obviously having guys like Cairoli and Smets and Prado who he trains with and Harry Norton at KTM, it's all good and well having those guys in your corner and learning from them, but you've got to actually put the hard work in. It's not just enough to have that. You've got to put the hard work and have the talent, like you said, mate. So, yeah, it's really nothing short of impressive what he's doing, mate. So I guess with him more or less sewing things up, you probably look for Langenfelder to start peeling off some wins and maybe Lucas Coonan and even his brother Sasha's been making strides lately. A, a podium could be on the cards. And, yeah, Everts will be in the running as well. He's just been super consistent as well. 
finishing the races, picking up podiums. And yeah, is that the sort of way you see the final few rounds sort of panning out? Yeah, I don't I don't think uh, Adamo will go like on a run where he, he just rips off a bunch of consecutive moto wins. I think you'll see a, still that same parody that we've seen all season. The difference is, is that Adamo's not having the DNFs and a lot of the variance in his results. And that's been, you know, th- the big difference. Like he's won when it's available, but he's not, you know, like Lucas Kunin's been all over the place. Like he'll be the fastest guy and you'll wonder why he's not winning every weekend. But then he'll have a mechanical failure or crash out of an event or do all these things that give away 20 points, 30 points a weekend, which he'll grow out of. I I think, you know, he's going to, in my opinion, he'll be a a future world champion, but you have to be there every single weekend and you have to be opportunistic. And when things go sideways for other people, just like it did for Yago, look at what Andrea did. He went and went 1-1 in the most pivotal weekend of the year where he could really solidify this championship. He went out and put his best weekend of the year in, his best result of his career. To me, that is that says so much about, you know, when, when opportunity arises, are you willing and able to go seize that moment and make the most of it, right? And he put nail in the coffin on this championship right then, that day. When he knew Yago was out, he went and put his best results in. That, to me, that was the defining moment of this world championship. Oh, for sure, mate. It was absolutely brilliant. And he probably even surprised himself a little bit on the sand as well, which that's sort of a testament to, you know, how far he's come developing into that complete package, which, like you said, you need to be to succeed in all conditions and all surfaces, mate. But yeah, lastly, before we let you go, any predictions for the weekend, mate, both in America and in the MXGP? Because it's looking like a pretty fascinating weekend all over with weather set to sort of impact both series, I guess. Yeah, I think for Unadilla, you know, the weather could play a, a role. The 450 class, I think we'll see more of the same. You know, I think Jet will likely win. Uh, you know, you'll see your typical Sexton, Ferrandez podium. I, I just think those are the best guys. I don't think Barsha will be able to come in this early. Unless it's – if it's full mud, then all bets are off. Barsha could be right in the mix. But outside of that, I think it'll just take him a little bit to kind of find his sea legs a bit. And then the 250 class, I'm glad I don't know. That That's my favorite part of it is I truly don't know – what we'll see. Um, my hunch is that Hunter will respond really well to the time off. He let, he will have let his body heal because he was, he was having a hard time with his ribs and he probably got to practice a bit for the first time in a long time. You know, he hasn't been riding during the week at all. And I think you're seeing the result of that a bit late in the moto. He's making mistakes. He's not as sharp as he was, you know, that crash at Millville though with a lap and a half to go, that's so out of character for him. And I think it was rust because he hadn't been riding, you know, it's, it's really difficult to continue only racing or only riding on race day and stay on that razor's edge of performance. And I, you know, that, that same guy that seemed unbeatable through the first four or five rounds, he was a little vulnerable, vulnerable. And I think it was simply because he couldn't ride and he, he wasn't a hundred percent. So I think he'll, he will have a bounce back day, but that's just, that's just a hunch. If you told me Hayden Deegan went one, one again, I would be like, yep, eh, that sounds about right. Because I, I, I've been proven wrong so many times in this stupidity class. I should know better than make predictions. Good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, true. And just Sweden, yeah, I think uh, we kind of touched on it. But um, I, I would really love to see Jeffrey Herlings get back in the fight. You know, that second moto, uh, I thought in Finland was was telling. Um, he looked like he was keen to get in the battle. And yes, he couldn't close the gap. But you could see him back there trying to catch those guys he didn't look like he was rusty he didn't look like he was out of shape and there was there were a few laps there i'm like oh here he comes he's gonna go go make this interesting all the way to the front and he was a little bit unable to 
But I think that form is uh, is right around the corner, and I think he knows it. I think he could sense it coming back really quickly in Finland. So I'm hoping he gets back in there just because he brings so much to this series. Uh, he's such a big personality, and you know it's it's not the same championship without a really strong Jeffrey Hurlings. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And yeah, before we let you go, I'd obviously like to thank the sponsors in Fly Racing for this one. They're obviously celebrating the 25th anniversary in 2023. And at the moment, the release of the new Formula S helmet, which is definitely a game changer and all the gear associated with that, mate. So do you want to just tell us how it's been received? You got plenty of good feedback from it all, mate. It's definitely an exciting thing for the industry to have such an awesome product like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. You know, this this line was one that I knew was going to be the strongest we've had in a very long time, if not ever. Um, and then you add the Formula S helmet on top of it. So it was it was hard to keep quiet and kind of uh, stifle my excitement for as long as I had to. But um, yeah, for us, we're, we're really just trying to be better than we were the day before. And with this 24 line and this new helmet and the new technology, uh, that's associated with it, that, that I feel like that's true. Like we've absolutely done that. We are much better than we were before this line came out. And in the end, that's all you can really ask for, right? Um, if you're, if you're continuing to improve and innovate and your products are getting better, then the rest will take care of itself. So I would encourage anybody, if you want to learn more about the helmet, go to flyracing.com slash formula hyphen S and that's our landing page. It has all the technical information. Um, you can learn all about the all the safety benefits of the helmet, the ride analytics, all that great stuff there. Um, but it's it's a it's a bit techy for for our sport. Um, but I, I truly think it's the future and and what helmet technology will look like moving forward. Yeah, it definitely elevates everything, mate. It's so impressive. And yeah, definitely encourage everyone to head to the website or listen to your, you know, explanation last week on the podcast, which was very detailed and in-depth, mate. So yeah, but thanks again for taking the time as always, mate. It's been a pleasure and the fans love these and all the best and enjoy the weekend, mate. Thanks, Ed. Talk soon. No worries, mate. Thank you.